Let's open our Bibles to Mark 15, verse 27-28, and I'm going to read several passages in the Gospels. Matthew 27, also put another place. You have Mark 15, 27-28, Matthew 27, begin with verse 38. I'll give them to you again as we read them. And then we want to read in Luke's Gospel 23. I want to bring you a message on the three crosses. The three crosses. And so we're going to read this first one in Mark 15, if you will. Verse 27. And with him they crucify two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now in that one in Matthew 27, verse 38. Let's just read verse 38. I'm going to try to cut down on the reading so I won't have too many passages to read. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. Then turn to Luke's gospel, if you will, chapter 23, and we'll read it a little more lengthy here, beginning with verse 32, Luke 23, verse 32. And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there... They crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and another on the left, the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. That's very important. Saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We've already seen in several places, like in this chapter, 23 verse 32, there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. We read in the other Gospels where he was hanging between the two thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. In fact, if you turn to John chapter 19, we'll give you one more verse of Scripture. Verse 18 says, Where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. So I want you to see the picture that's before us. There are three crosses. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. In Isaiah 53 and verse 12, let me read this for you. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, and I'll read a portion of it, the last part. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. All of these things are true when Christ was hanging between the two thieves. He made intercession for the transgressors when he said, Father, forgive them, talking about more than just the two thieves, for they know not what they do. And he was numbered with the transgressors, one on either side. And he bare the sin of many in dying there on the cross. Jesus was bearing the sin of not only those transgressors and the ones that he made intercession for, 
but for all of us who are transgressors and are sinners. Jesus predicted that this would be fulfilled of him. In Luke 22, verse 37, before this happened, he says, For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me, and he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. Jesus quoted from Isaiah and said, This has to be fulfilled concerning me. He said that these crosses, these three crosses were in view even by Isaiah. John, again, I'll remind you, said Jesus in the midst. Uh, the scripture we read in Matthew's gospel, I, I want you to notice this again very uh, quickly. In Matthew, it says, Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the, another on the left. So you can see he was in the midst of them. In uh, Luke's gospel where we read it, in verse 32, I want you to notice the reading here. Luke 23, verse 32. If you have time shuffling these pages around to get there, just listen carefully. And there were also two other malefactors, or two other criminals. Two other beside what? Beside Jesus, led with him to be put to death. So when it says two other, it's assuming and saying that Jesus is a criminal. So we find that there was not one cross there, but there were three crosses, and three persons died that day. And all men stand on one side or the other side of this central cross. We said we're going to preach on the three crosses, the cross of the Savior, the cross of the unsaved, and the cross of the saved. All of us are represented. So we all are represented by those two thieves on either side of Jesus, and we're all related to Christ on the central cross in one way or another. And if you're a repentant sinner and have repented, you're like that repentant thief. And if you're unrepentant and impenitent, you're like the unsaved on the other side. And we all can bear witness to how we stand to that central cross, to that person in the midst. These three crosses I'll mention, the cross of the Savior, the cross of the unsaved, and the cross of the saved. The cross of the Savior, just a little introduction before we go into detail of it. This cross is the symbol of divine love and human salvation. John 3.16 we all know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth your salvation in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a revelation of the love and of the power and of the wisdom of God. God's eternal plan of redemption is tied up in this particular event and in this one central cross and in the two crosses that are there on each side that show unsaved and saved. God's wonderful plan of redemption. That was before the foundation of the world. The Bible tells us that he was uh, in due time delivered according to the foreknowledge of God. And he says, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And I'm trying to restrain myself from keeping on really preaching this message. And I'm just going to talk it this morning, if you will forgive me. We sing a song at Calvary. It says, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan and oh, the grace that brought it down to man. That great gulf that God did span where? At Calvary. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The cross of the Savior. And then the cross of the unsaved. This cross is a symbol of impenitence and rejection of divine mercy. Rejecting God's divine mercy. And how impossible it is for those to be saved who reject the means of salvation 
and the cross of Calvary and the sacrifice that was made thereof. Then the third cross is the cross of the saved. This cross is a symbol of penitence and it's also a symbol of pardon. The repentant thief was pardoned. How great a salvation awaits a repentant sinner. Christ's compassion and mercy are manifested in toward that repentant sinner. If we we've already read about him when he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Free pardon it was announced to them to him. There was a bright hope that was inspired in him of the future, even though he had no future upon this earth, he knew that Christ would remember him in that kingdom to come. His immortal happiness was secured. Now I want us to look now at these three crosses in greater depth. And as we look at them, let's think first of all, in the same order as we've already dealt with them, the cross of the Savior, the central cross. As John says, Jesus in the midst. Jesus in the midst as holding the place of preeminence in that scene of uttermost and utmost shame. You know, God said that in all things he might have the preeminence. But he had the preeminence holding the place of preeminence even in this shame. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 2 that, that he was despising the cross and endured the shame. Let me read it for you in the exact words. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Jesus, shortly, when he dies, will find that his legs were not broken as were the thieves because of the scripture that said, not a bone of him shall be broken. And it has a reference to Christ as well. But we know his side was riven with a spear. And there came out blood and water, a fountain of blood for sin and uncleanness. Zechariah says in 13.1, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. We sing a song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says, who had loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And we talk about our songs we sing about the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus can cleanse all the guilt of all who will wash and be clean. And if we're willing to come to him and believe in his sacrifice and believe in his shed blood, we can certainly be cleansed. Jesus in the midst, in the midst of man's sin, Touching life where the need is the greatest. Where, do, where does man need the Lord to touch his life? In the greatest part is that he is a sinner and he needs God's forgiveness. And Jesus is there. And where sin is, the Bible says where sin abounded, what grace did much more abound? We talk about the various aspects of sinners. We find that uh, Jesus said he came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus speaks of the fact there's none righteous, the Bible does. But where there is sin, he's ready to forgive. He ate with publicans and sinners. He said concerning the woman that was taken in the act of adultery, he said, go and sin no more. And he said to all round about, the one that is without sin, cast the first stone toward her. Jesus in the midst. And then in the crucifixion, 
There are three things that are clear. And I'll give you those and then we'll come back to them. Three things that are clear. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus was asked to save himself and to come down from the cross. And Jesus was taunted that if he pleased the crowd, they would see and believe. That if he did what they wanted, they would see and believe. I'll give you that reference in a little bit. But first of all, the three things we're talking about as far as the cross of the Savior. He was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus, in the midst of the transgressors, as he is there on the central cross, he is held up as the worst of the three. You have two criminals, one on either side. But they put Jesus right in the middle. And we believe that his cross was outstanding, that it was the others were just there on either side. But he was magnified or shown or revealed as wor- the worst of the three. With him, two other male factors, two other criminals were crucified. He's the central uh, part of that. He's the central part that is looked upon as the one in the midst. The sinless one shared the lot of the sinful. He was sinless, but he shared the lot of the sinful. Identification of the offer with a sin offering in the Old Testament. He identified himself with sinful man. Jesus identified himself with the sinner and with sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our sins of spite were part of those that day, whose cruel whips and thorns did make him smart. Our lusts were those that tried him in the way. Our want of love was that which pierced his heart. And still when we forget or slight his pain, we crucify and torture him again. The second thing about Jesus there that's clear about his crucifixion, that he was asked to save himself. To do so could uh, still, we could still remember him as a teacher. If Jesus had saved himself and come down from the cross, all of his teachings and all of his miracles and all of the the life of Jesus, with the exception of his death, would be well remembered. But he would not be our Savior. He had to die on the cross to be our Savior. He couldn't just come and live a good life, a holy life, and be a good person and fulfill the law, even to the extent that he fulfilled it completely, and you and I cannot. And all the good about Christ's life could be remembered, but we couldn't be saved by that. It took his death on the cross. He would deny his deity. He would deny his power to redeem had he come down from the cross. A Christless cross would be in vain, and a crossless Christ would also be powerless to save. To save others, he could not come down. Remember the wording of the one thief that railed on him, If thou be Christ... Save thyself, it says, and us. That's in 23, verse 39 of Luke. Save thyself and us. That's that's an impossibility. If he saved himself, he couldn't save us. It was only by giving himself that he could save us. Because God said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without Christ's death on the cross, we cannot be saved. And so we, we value the sacrifice in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Another thing we want to point out is that this shepherd was smitten for the sake of his sheep in order to save his sheep. In John the 10th chapter, the Bible says, Jesus said, I'll lay down my life for the sheep. 
And he says, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I can bring back my life. He's speaking of the resurrection. And so he did lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus, the third thing that we said in the crucifixion of Jesus that's clear. He was not only numbered with a transgressor, and he was asked to save himself and come down, but Jesus was taunted that if he pleased the crowd, they would see and believe. In Mark, thir- uh, Mark 15, let me read this for you. In Mark 15... In verse 32, it says, Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. This is Mark 15, verse 32. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. So, they, they, what? they said, we want to see in order to believe. Now, how modern this sounds. People want to see. This is up to date, isn't it? People say, if I could just see, I would believe. If I had some real proof, the Bible gives you all the word there is. Jesus said to Thomas, who also doubted unless he would see, he said, blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. We haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. We haven't anything but the record of what happened. But we believe because we have God's word that tells us about it. People now want to see. Jesus said, In John 19, verse 30, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. To believe in his finished work on the cross of Calvary is all that we need for our salvation. And to trust him and believe on him and receive him by faith. He says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The cross of the unsaved now. We've talked about the cross of the Savior. The cross of the unsaved. We mean the unrepentant. We find that the spiritual condition of all unsaved sinners is that we are dead in trespasses and sins. That's what it says in Ephesians 2 verse 1. The Bible says this, that he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3 verse 36. All men at first are in a, and by nature, in a natural condition, are lost. And are sinners. And the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none that doeth good. I mean, a sad picture of humanity, isn't it? The Bible says, furthermore... In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, that there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We're talking about a just man. He didn't say in Ecclesiastes 7, 20, there is not a man that tries to do good or this or that or the other and giving you several several variables. He doesn't say that. It says there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Isaiah said all of our righteousnesses, all that we profess to be good, are as filthy rags. He says, we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In John 3 verse 18, Jesus says, he that believeth not is condemned already. So you don't have to do anything to be under condemnation. Because we're men that are sinners by nature. And we need the redemption that Christ has offered. So the unsaved reversed to both of those thieves before the one repented, but especially the one that stayed and remained in that state of unrepentance. The thief on the one side made the mistake of 
misusing this life, this one that would not repent. He misused this life. He let every opportunity pass by, even before, and even now, he had the last opportunity, and he wouldn't take advantage of it. Beloved, it's a, it's a sad and grim fact that all of us are facing death. It's something we need to think about. People say, well, I don't want to talk about it. Well, never mind. You may not want to talk about it, but you need to be prepared for it. We do not know what day nor hour. The Bible says that uh, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. But we trust that when we settle everything with God and that we've taken advantage of our opportunity to repent of our sins and receive Christ as our Savior, that we have made the right decision and that it's, we're prepared for it. But unless that decision is made, we're not prepared for it. I'm thankful that I feel that every soul in this building is prepared for it. And even though I have this kind of message, I know that God's Word will have its way and remind us of the salvation that we have. But on the other hand, we must take advantage of that opportunity, and we must realize that men, women, boys, and girls have to take advantage of it uh, at some point in time in life. This was the last opportunity for this unrepentant thief, the cross of the unsaved we're talking about. He was only concerned with earthly gains. He was only concerned with earthly things. And he was only concerned with earthly pleasures and what he had uh, had up to this point in time. And he made the mistake of neglecting the means of grace, even in this last at this last moment. His greatest mistake was... At this point in time, to go out into eternity in outer darkness, the Bible says that at that time you were without Christ, Ephesians 2, verse 12. Unforgiven, when forgiveness is available. Isn't that a terrible mistake? When forgiveness was available, he would go out into eternity unforgiven. He would go out with, without salvation when salvation was there and free and offered to him. Acts 4, verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Another point of the fact that this unsaved person, let me remind you that both thieves, being unnamed, unnamed, may well represent a vast multitude of men and women. I mean, we're all unnamed until we accept Christ. You say, well, I have a name. Sure, you have a name. But we're seen as the masses of, of humanity on either side of Jesus some accepting and some rejecting. And that's the way it is. This one, on the cross of the unsaved, we see a man who was unrepentant and a man who was defiant. In Luke 23, verse 39 through 41, you'll find that he railed on Christ and was rebellious against God. The word railed is a much stronger word than reproach. It means that he began to use injurious an insulting language. He not only was against and rejecting, but he used injurious and uh, insulting language. The word railed has that thought with it. He received his just reward of society's judgment. And that was his crucifixion there beside Jesus. And that's bad enough. But he would soon receive his just reward of God's judgment. God is the judge of all. And the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, or after that, the judgment. How terrible his end. Sin brought him to ruin. An unsaved, lost soul. Can you think of anything this morning more horrible than to go out of this world unsaved and lost? 
The Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. There's no remedy for it. Proverbs 29, verse 1. Now, he had the same opportunity as the other who did repent. He had the same opportunity. He was in the exact same circumstances. Some people say, well, they blame the circumstances they're in. They blame this and that and the other. He had the same opportune time. said, I didn't have time. He had the same opportune time. And he beheld the same Jesus as the one that later on repented. Think of that for a moment. Then we come to the cross of the saved, our last point of our message. We've seen the cross of the Savior. He died for our sins. We've seen the cross of the unsaved, a man that would not repent, though he had every opportunity. Now, what about the cross of the saved? In contrast to the other thief, in opposition to him, the exact opposite. Even though, remember that both at the first spoke out bitter words, it says they both cast the same in his teeth. In other words, they both spoke out against Jesus. All of us have walked indifferently in times past toward the Lord. All of us are associated with how both of them were before this one repented. But now one dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, as we sing. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And we're just like as vile as he. If we trust him, he'll wash all of our sins away. We read that verse of scripture we gave you in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1. It says there will be a fountain open for sin and for uncleanness. So in contrast to the other thief, this repentant thief acknowledged Christ's dignity. He proclaimed him as sovereign even in the invisible world. He says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He knew Jesus was dying and he knew he was dying. But he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He didn't say, hey, fella. He said, Lord. He realized that he had a kingdom. He realized there was life beyond. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He asked for mercy in doing this. He did not doubt Christ's willingness or ability to save. You know, wouldn't it be one thing to have a willing, uh, an able Savior that was not willing? Or a willing Savior that was not able? But Jesus is both willing and able. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should what perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the Bible says that he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. So he found that his asking for mercy was answered. And Jesus granted the thief's petition. I want you to think a moment. He granted this thief's petition for mercy without hesitation. You know, a lot of people say, well, if I can just get God's attention and weep long enough and pray long enough and show that I'm sorry and do things to myself... Maybe he'll believe that I mean it. All this thief said was, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And without hesitation, Jesus answered, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Jesus granted his petition without upbraiding him, without going back and saying, You shouldn't have done this or that or the other, and upbraiding him for every mistake that he'd ever made, and for all of his sins, and for the thing that he was hanging on the cross there for, at that time, he did not upbraid him. And Jesus, Jesus granted his petition without prescribing certain conditions. He didn't say, now, if you'll do this, and if you'll do that, and if you'll do something else, he couldn't do anything else. He didn't prescribe any conditions. He forgave him, and he granted the thief's petition without hesitation, without upbraiding, and without prescribing any conditions whatsoever. The only condition you and I have to meet is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the same as he did, and thou what shalt be saved. 
the same condition exists for you and I. This man believed God's promise to forgive and to pardon. You know, it doesn't mean that he had never heard of anything. The Bible tells us that in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The foulest life can be cleansed. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Psalm 51 verse 7 says, David said in that repentant psalm, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The foulest sinner can be cleansed. And the broken can be mended. In Matthew 12 verse 20, the Bible says that Jesus would not break the, a bruised reed. It says a bruised reed. He shall not break. If it's at all, you know, a reed. Have you ever thought about what a reed is? A little stalk or straw or grass that's grown up. I mean, uh, among thousands and thousands of them that are growing by the, by the lake or by the sea or by the shore or wherever. And a bruised one, why not just get another one? Why not, why fool with a bruised one? But it says a bruised reed shall he not break. The broken can be mended. And Jesus is the one that does that mending. You know, we see people throwing lives of different ones away because they've had these bruises and faults and failures about their life. But the Lord is able to change it and turn it around and make it what it needs to be and heal that broken part. The enslaved life can be set free. The Bible says, if Christ shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We see in this man... A soul passing from death to life immediately. John 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, listen carefully. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. He's passed from darkness to life. Colossians 1, verse 13, He's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son, from the power of Satan to the power of God. He moves from the path of hell to the gates of heaven. Men on the road to destruction can immediately turn and go on the way to heaven. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He saw what he and the other deserved. This repentant thief knew that he deserved. He says, we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. Jesus tasted death for every man in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, let me give you this, this verse of Scripture in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Even though he was innocent, he tasted death for every man. Every man. There was the judgment upon Jesus by the court. The mob was shrieking. The disciples forsaking, running here and there. And Jesus was left alone except for this man, this one man. And he reversed the judgment of the world concerning Christ. He says, I'm going to stay with him and I believe in him. And he said, Lord, where were the rest of them? Many crying for his death, scattered here and there. Well, he's judged. He's, a, he's there with the Male factors, the criminals, and it'll be over soon. But this man said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He saw the kingdom of God beyond this tragedy. And suddenly he was converted, turned to God. Sudden conversion is genuine. He was not saved by good works or by baptism, though these are good and right in their right place. Good works are good, and baptism is good, 
He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't do any good works. He could not attend church. He could not serve. He could not give. He could not witness beyond now. But by, by the way, his witness still lives, even to this very day, because he repented and turned to God. He proves that a man's goodness has no part in salvation. He had none to offer. And he proves that salvation is instantaneous. And he proves that Jesus loves lost sinners and died for them. That when a saved person dies, that he goes to be with Jesus. He proves all of this. Three crosses still are born of Calvary's hill, where sin still lifts them high. Upon the one sag broken men who cursing die. Another holds the pra- another holds the praying thief on those who, penitent as he, still find the Christ beside them on the tree. And we stand where these two thieves were. Which side will we take? You can ask where you are today. Which side have you taken? If you've repented of your sins, if you've received Jesus, who is in the midst as your Lord and Savior, you're saved and you're born again, you're a child of God. 